Canucks Central Monday. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shaw in the Kintec studio. Canucks Central is brought to you by Grip Auto and Tire. Quality service you can trust and 14 locations to serve you. Happy Thanksgiving Monday. Can I say it's been a happy Thanksgiving? Uh, well, the, the sports have been bad. For the most part. For, for for the most part. For the most part. I mean, um, thankfully, we don't have any uh, Canucks losses to commiserate <laughs> about. Um, Sat's so bitter about the Browns. It's hilarious, uh, man. Browns, Jays, but the Browns especially. I was... It, it's it's always funny because I I've, sometimes I catch myself ranting to Josh and Dan before the yep. before the show about the Browns and you know how mad I am about mm-hmm. it and it's like these guys probably just want me to shut up they're like <laughs> we we couldn't care less man it's like why do you gotta always rant about the Browns uh, well it's your team man there's gonna be one day where you just pull the to and you start like one tier like that's it's my football team, my, man. I don't know, man. Like today, I was, I was, I was almost like, you know what? Why am I doing this to myself? <laughs> <laughs> don't go down that road, okay? People are gonna call you a traitor for the rest of your life. Don't I, don't I know, know it? I mean, it's just. <laughs> I was saying, like, at least when they were bad, when they yep. were a bad football team, the point you made was there's apathy mm-hmm. because you know they're gonna be bad, and it's like, hey, at least just, just don't go zero and sixteen. Yeah. You know, zero and seventeen. Win a couple of games, get a high draft pick. Let me see some hope throughout the season. Yep. But I know what to expect. You know, I mean, they should they should be five and zero. Yeah, you can make a case it should be four and one, <laughs> or, or maybe say you know football. Hey, it's football, but they should at least be three and two. But they're two and three. Mm-hmm. All right, enough, enough. I yeah. can't do anymore. Sorry. Enough. Uh, it's so easy to wound uh, sat up about his uh, about his Cleveland Browns, but uh, this is not uh, NFL Central. This is Canucks Central, and lots to get into. They close out the preseason with a win over the Arizona Coyotes. Uh, who are an ECHL team at this point, but uh, it was at least a, a confidence-building win to close out the fake schedule and get ready for the Edmonton Oilers on Wednesday. Now, there's some things that we're still waiting for as we sit here at 3.03 on Monday afternoon. Yeah, thanks, Canucks. Yeah, there's still no uh, <laughs> official roster from the Vancouver Canucks, so we'll yeah. see that as it gets closer to being announced and we'll get into some of the absences the maintenance day that wasn't really a maintenance day he's just sick for Quinn Hughes they expect him to practice tomorrow and more on the roster coming up but um I you know I haven't had a chance sat to really um dive into the minutiae of a Jason Dickinson trade. No, I mean, uh, you, myself, and Bick were all at the rink yep. um, before the game, and the trade went down Yep. Um, just towards the... I mean, it went down during the just before the first period, during the first period? Yeah. It was during the first period that the trade went down, when we were all kind of like surprised. And we towards all, the end of the first period, yeah. And we're all running around trying to figure out what's going on and, you know, what's happening or whatever, and we joked around a lot a lot about it. But you haven't had a chance to give your take on it, and, and even... I don't, I'm, not, I'm not even sure what your take is because we were just so wrapped up in trying to figure out what was going on yeah. that you weren't even able to. This is my first time hearing your take on the, the Jason Dickinson trade. It uh, it doesn't really make sense to me. No? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it, the, the thing about it that is, is really hard for me to, to get around is just this whole idea of like you're making um, – somewhat of a cap adjustment or a salary cap saving move you are paying a future asset to shed yourself of an onerous contract 
but you're doing it in October rather than June or ahead of the start of the off season when that salary cap space may give you the opportunity to do some other things. You've done it after you've gone out and spent money on Ilya Mikheyev and Curtis Lazar and some other things you've done with the roster. These are the things that don't really add up for me as to why the Canucks make this deal now. Look, Jason Dickinson liked the move when they made it. I thought it made a ton of sense to go out and get a defensive-minded center that they needed, given the way the roster Mm -hmm. was trending at the moment. Obviously, it has not worked out, and the contract looks terrible. That is not on Patrick Alvine or Jim Rutherford that that move hasn't worked out. They inherited that Mm -hmm. move, and it's up to them to try and figure out a way out of it. But again, why now? Mm -hmm. Why in October and not in July? Uh, That's the one part of this move that just doesn't make a ton of sense to me, Sat. Well, you know, Alvin, you were there actually, you know, interviewing a part of the scrum, uh, talking to Alvin uh, after making the trade. And he hasn't really gone into depth about why now and all those sort of things yet. It's the one thing I wish I had followed up on with Alvin. Now, one thing that I have kind of gathered over the course of the weekend and talking to people and not just Vancouver, like talking to people around the league a little bit. Cause I'm like one thing, my reaction to the trade as people who heard the post game show and during intermissions was surprised to me this trade because they talked so much about not wanting to trade any draft picks to move salary. That doesn't add up. It Uh, seems like they've done the opposite of everything they've said they wanted. Now I remember Rutherford at one point said, we're not there yet. Right now, we don't feel we're in a position where we can trade draft picks for cap space. Not right now. Maybe later, not right now. So I think if you actually go back to what they've said, I think they left themselves a little bit of an out to say, hey, we're not looking to do this now, but maybe Mm -hmm. we have to at some point. Uh, So I did find that interesting when I went back to listen. Like, okay, he actually did give an out. Maybe we didn't listen to it as much, but he he actually did give a bit of an out in terms of like, hey, this could happen, but not right now. We're not looking to do it. But that was my surprise why they, you know, made this trade. But it does have tangible cap savings. You yes. know, it really does. I mean, even though it's 1.3 million, if you look at Stillman as a player who can be easily sent down or easily bought out, I mean, if you buy him out next summer, it's only a $225,000 cap hit. So essentially, next summer, the Canucks, if they want, can have 2.4 to 2.5 million in cap space they didn't have already, right? Yeah, because he's uh, under 25 buyout at yeah, that point. So they could do that. So my reaction was also like, okay, with Stillman, there's a way out of the contract. You can bury him. It's a small salary, and it saves the Canucks. 3.25 million. Hey, could save them 4.1 million in cash if they end up buying out uh, Stillman this offseason. So, hey, there's real cash savings and a bit of a cap savings, and that can help you out. But one thing I've seen I underestimated was Riley Stillman as a asset from my discussions around the league. And listen, I'm not saying he's an asset that's going to get you a second round pick. I'm not saying he's an asset yeah. that's going to be getting you, you know, this huge return. But I was surprised to hear, and this is something, this goes back to sometimes we don't know as well, or you know, we don't know the league or how the teams think about guys. He's a young player. Mm-hmm. He plays hard. He skates decently. He has a good reputation. Teams like physical defensemen that can move and are young. So he's a guy who has tangible value. That was something I kind of got back over the course of the weekend. So, in a sense, 
there's a reason they made this move rather than just a strictly cap dump of Jason Dickinson. It seems that way. At least my understanding is Riley, uh, Riley Stillman is viewed yeah. as a guy that if they wanted to move on from him, you'd probably get a mid-round pick back if you wanted to. So this is obviously part of it then. you know, Maybe the injuries play uh, a certain part in why right. they go out and, and acquire another defenseman. We know Boudreaux, uh, after Friday's game, was just like, well, we need another defenseman, so yeah, <laughs> that's good. Uh, they've they've only got six guys uh, practicing today on, on defense uh, with Quinn Hughes uh, coming back from the illness. So there's... It, it, that, I guess, is part of the reasoning then. It's not just strictly a, sa- a salary cap dump. They can open up pretty much the full cap as you've mentioned from for Jason Dickinson but for right now they they have a third pairing defenseman that fills a need for them in the toughness category like this isn't the guy that's the other like okay yeah he's an asset sat but he's not the type of player they've talked about wanting a guy that helps them break the puck out better that move makes them a faster team uh Tougher to play against, sure, but in the more traditional sense, not in a modern sense with with Riley Stillman. So yeah, he could be an asset. Maybe there's more of a player there than what he's able to show on a real bad Chicago team. I, I, I can maybe get behind some of that, but it kind of like the type of player that he is flies in the face of, of the player I thought they have been targeting. Well, he his it's funny because his defensive metrics aren't good. Yeah, um, they could always use a lefty that could do certain things, but his PK numbers aren't good. His defensive metrics aren't good, but he is tough and he skates fairly well. Um, could he be played better in a different environment, perhaps? But they do feel like they need some more toughness. You know, this is something that this team does feel like it needs. If a lot of it falls on Luke Shen, you have Cal Burrows that brings a little bit of it too. Yeah. But they want some more toughness and they want some more bite and size on the back end. Like that that's something they totally do want. Now is Stillman the Rutherford has answer? mentioned that to us. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so that's part of it. That's what they do want. And but I think they viewed him as a player that okay, he helps us. We get some we save some real money here. We get some cap savings as well. And now we can flip this guy if we want to in a year's time in the final year of his contract. We can get something for him, or maybe he plays well and he's he's a decent player for us. And then we flip Travis Dermott instead and get the third round pick back that we traded or whatever it is. So I think they view him they view him as a potential asset, and they view the same way they they view a guy like Travis Dermott the same way. So as much as yes, they're giving up a second round pick, I think they view it as we also got a player back that can maybe not only be a player for us at least you know in a depth role, and if it's if he's not, we can get something back in return for him if we want to trade him. So it, it gives them other options to do things in yeah. the future. Now, hey, I, I'm not saying that means, you know, um, you, you should think the trade is a home run or whatever. But but I thought it was interesting because I didn't view Stillman as much of an asset. That was my initial reaction to the trade. But then talking to people around the league, you know, he's viewed as an asset. Like at the Canucks, the, the, the thought I got was, hey, if, if Chicago wanted to trade him, they could have traded him. Could have yeah. got something for him, you know? It's just, okay, I just don't, for me, I I look at some of the players that the Canucks have tried to move for draft picks in in years past, and I would argue some of them are stronger than than Riley Stillman. But the value is 
what it is around the league. You know, uh, you can put something up on eBay for 500 bucks because a, a book tells you it's worth 500 bucks, but it's only worth what somebody's going to pay, <laughs> pay, uh, pay you for it. So that I, I, I sort of understand, but again, this is, you know, when I think about how you manipulate the salary cap and how you, or when you choose to open up money and what it allows you to do, those are factors that have to be taken into account, right? You know, could you have opened up Dickinson's cap earlier in the summer and that gave you an opportunity, that gives you an opportunity to go out and add a defenseman Mm -hmm. with the full salary cap available to you rather than, you know, sort of being forced into, because yeah, as much as they might like some of the things Riley Stillman brings, the reason you're trading with Chicago is because they're one of the few teams that's willing to essentially buy draft picks right now. Yes, you pretty know? much. Yeah. It's Chicago. Arizona's already bought like 7,000 draft mm-hmm. picks, so how many more are they going to buy? Maybe Montreal. Like, There's only so many teams that are willing to, to make this type of a deal right now. No, and teams, and this is and the cost of moving those contracts, let's, let's, let's not forget, during the summer was very high. Yes. You saw the price that was paid by teams to move salary, and it was Cassian, more than a second. The Cassian contract comes to mind. Yeah. You know, and even um, Toronto with Mrazek, that comes yeah. to mind as well. There's a couple other ones where there was a third-round pick also thrown on top of a second-round pick, other future picks thrown into, moving about 2 to $3 million in money. So it shows, I mean, like, uh, the, the Patrick Nemeth one. Mm-hmm. I mean, two second-round picks, essentially, to move $2.5 million, yeah. right? So. It was hard to move money, and there was a premium to do so. And the Canucks said they tried to move these contracts before and tried to make these things happen, but the cost was prohibitive. There's also a chance here that Chicago would have done this before, but was asking for a second-round pick straight up. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, no, we're not going to give you a second-round pick and Jason Dickinson. Like, t- That's not good enough for us. Or, you know, Because Stillman's viewed as a guy, again, that it's he's either a player or a guy they can flip. Yeah. So, Maybe that type of trade for Dickinson wasn't available earlier in the summer. Potentially, I mean, I, I don't. We don't know, but I'm just saying, you know, to answer the question about why did they not do this before, that could be part of the reasoning. I, I don't love the idea of giving up draft picks. Uh, nobody does. Yeah, I don't like it either. Um, it, it would be mitigated if they are able to add draft picks somewhere else, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a second. Yeah, but you know, give yourself some extra bullets. Well, I mean. Here, here's the thing, though, right? What is your level of confidence in management? Yeah. So one thing they have done is they have been able to get a couple draft picks. They got a third-round pick for Hamannick. They got a fourth-round pick for for Mott. Now, hey, some might say they didn't get enough for Mott, but you saw he got signed right before the start of training camp for, what, $1.2 million or $1.3 mm-hmm. million to go play for the Ottawa Senators. It kind of shows you what the market really was around Tyler Mott. So... They were able to get a couple draft picks. Are they able to get more draft picks? And I've mentioned this before. They think that heading into next season, they can maybe move some guys and some guys could become potential assets for them. Until they do it, we won't be able to you know, tell what's going on. But I do think that's part of the plan. Before you heard Jim Benning say those things, wouldn't be able to execute on it. And people say, oh, well, I don't have confidence they're going to be able to pull this off. With these guys, do you have confidence that they can mitigate against this by by acquiring more draft picks over the next year to two years so like the the one uh, my final thought on this the one thing about um you know getting extra picks like i think about tampa bay yes they gave up two first round picks for brandon Hagel last year 
and everybody was freaking out. But go back, look at that deal. They also gained a couple of picks later on in the draft, third, fourth round picks. I can't remember exactly what they were, but the point of it was Tampa's got enough confidence in their scouting staff that as long as they get some extra bullets, Mm -hmm. they'll be okay with that, knowing and expecting that those first rounders are going to be very late first. It's obviously not equal value of draft picks, but again, when you get down to it in the draft, if you are beyond the first 15 picks, the drop-off is quite steep. Yeah. Then you get into the second round, and it's a certain level, and then certainly towards the mid-second round, late-second round, then it's, you know, it's it's a crapshoot. Yeah. So just give yourself the more bullets. And one more thing I'll add yeah. before we move on, because we finally have some news on the Canucks roster. And one thing yeah. I will say before Dan reads the roster, this doesn't mean... All the guys on this team right now are playing game one, and I'll tell you why. But the Canucks moving the real cash commitments mm-hmm. does clear some internal budget, too. What can you do with that? I don't think anything is imminent as far as a trade is concerned or anything like that, but it gives them more options to do stuff over the course of the season. So what Sad is alluding to, I said at 3.03, the Canucks had not announced their opening day roster. Mm-hmm. But it's now 3.18 here on this beautiful Thanksgiving Monday. And the Canucks have released their roster. Travis Dermott, Ilya Mikheyev, and Tyler Myers will commence the season on the club's injured reserve list. So, the other move that they've made is loaning Linus Carlson to the Abbotsford Canucks and recalling Danila Klimovich to the NHL club. That's right. Danila Klimovich is on the Canucks opening day roster. Uh, yeah, he is. That doesn't mean he's playing. Like These are roster machinations, and we'll see. I can't do the math right now because we're on air. We're going to probably see Puckpedia or Cap Friendly have the numbers here momentarily, and we'll share them with you. This is all about maximizing long-term injury relief. Yeah. space. You're trying to get to as close to 3.5 million in long-term injury relief. So if you can get that number to as close to the 3.5 million in total, then you're going to have that much money to spend over the course of the summer. Because if you don't get there, like just because Furlan makes 3.5 million doesn't mean the Canucks can capture the entire 3.5 million by putting him on LTIR. They need to be as close to the cap as possible and then put him on LTIR to be able to capture the full amount. Uh, the best example of uh, explaining that, uh, if you can see what the Maple Leafs did, I don't want to make this about the Maple Leafs, but uh, they are $4 below the cap so that they can maximize the amount of LTIR that they used, and they signed some very like number-specific contracts uh, to make sure that they got as close as possible to that. So as far as the opening day roster goes... Luke Shen, Jack Rathbone, Tucker Pullman, Brock Besser, Connor Garland, J.T. Miller, Curtis Lazar, Nils Hoaglander, Oliver ekman Larson, Spencer Martin, Thatcher Demko, Elias Pettersson, Quinn Hughes, Kyle Burrows, Danila Klimovich, Bo Horvat, Riley Stillman, Tanner Pearson, Dakota Joshua, Nils Amon, Vasily Podkolzin, and Andre Kuzmenko. There is your opening day roster for the 2022-2023 season for the Vancouver Canucks. And as Sad alluded to, 
some of this is paper moves. Yeah. For the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah. Uh, so that's the Klimovich one, and we'll see ultimately if Carlson comes back up and, and all those sort of things do happen. Um, and that Dermot, Mikheyev, and Myers will all start the season injured reserve. Yes. So Mikheyev, who they hope will be getting into full practices later this week, I believe he won't be able to play at least until next Tuesday. I think it's a full week. Or even beyond that, because you have to spend seven days on IR. So he won't be able to play the Canucks' first four games of the season. His first eligible game, uh, if I am reading this correctly, uh, would be next Thursday for the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah. So So no Ilya Mikheyev uh, in the... uh, in the roster as he will be on injured reserve to start the season. This does leave the door open for Brock Besser to be on the opening night roster against the Edmonton Oilers tomorrow night. He was in a non-contact jersey today. They'll see where he's at tomorrow and make that determination. But it's uh, it's not a guarantee that – this doesn't mean it's a guarantee Brock Besser is in the opening night lineup either, Sat. No. Is the point I want to get across. It doesn't guarantee it. Uh, and this is something that I alluded to last week, that Besser yeah. is probably not going to be out long. Outside chance, he plays on Wednesday, the season opener at Edmonton, but I, I fully expect him to play as soon as the second game of the season, at the very least, which is against the Flyers. So I was always under the assumption. It seems like they want to get him going on Wednesday, mm-hmm. but we'll see if that can happen or not. Uh, as Boudreaux put it today in his media avail, you know, we don't need Brock to do a ton, but... When he's on the ice, he's always a goal threat. So yeah. that's uh, that's a big reason you can live with Brock, even if he's not yet at 100%. So just looking at this right now, so it's seven days after he's being put on IR. So he's being put on IR today, mm-hmm. Mikheyev, which is Monday, which means he could play as soon as Tuesday, October 18 against the Blue Jackets. So he may only miss three games. All right. So good clarification there on that for... Uh, Ilya Mikheyev with the Vancouver Canucks. Doesn't guarantee he's back for that fourth game, but he can be activated as soon as October 18th against the Blue Jackets. The two notables, well, one notable. There's two. Danila Klimovich, which we've already gone through, and Nils Oman. Yeah. It's maybe the part of the Dickinson trade that we didn't really unravel yet. Mm -hmm. His play in preseason potentially made Dickinson more expendable for this team, and that did potentially play a part in why now for Jason Dickinson as well. Hey, it, it potentially could. I mean, I do think it's not just like a clear-cut thing. You yes. know what I mean? Like, I think they've been trying to move salary. They've been trying to do this for a long time. Mm-hmm. They've been trying to move some inefficient money that's owed, which is which clears internal budget. You know what I mean? I mean, hey, we can be cynical and say it's ownership that wants to save every penny they can before the season, but every team operates within a budget. Even cap teams operate within budgets. You know, like... You don't have a you know blank check for how much you spend. So everything you spend does go into what you're doing as an organization. And if you're looking to do stuff off the ice, you can really allocate some of that money. You can say, hey, we're, we're saving this much money here this year. And yeah, we'll spend more money on player salaries. But hey, how about we use some of this money to do this off the ice, for instance. So I think these things do matter and come into it. But to your point, like, I think that's a factor as well, how good Niels Allman played. But, you know, the, the toughness factor we, we discussed, like they do want to add a tough player on the back end or they do want to add more toughness to the team. That is something that they're interested in. And I think they viewed it as, as a trade that aligns in a lot of different things. And initially, when we see it, 
we don't see all those factors. And my yeah. reaction was surprised because, again, they said we're not trading draft picks. And here they are trading a second round draft pick. But once you dig into it more and you look into it and you do your research on it and talk to people, you realize, OK, there are factors that make this a reasonable trade. Hey, you can still dislike it. But it wasn't just a, hey, we're just nearly willy trying to save some cash and we're throwing draft picks out the door. Uh, Nils Oman making the team. Didn't necessarily seem like a possibility when he was no, signed no. in the summer. I did not expect it. Yeah, but uh, looks like an, a very good find for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, obviously, he's on the opening night roster, so he's impressed a lot of people since getting here. Um, and quite frankly, like he, he looks like an NHL player. Yeah, He looks like he can fill the job as a fourth-line center in the National Hockey League. We'll, we'll have to see if that ends up being the case. Well, that's the thing. Let, let's, hey, uh, great job, honestly. Yeah. Fantastic job. Uh, I, I'm excited for him. I'm happy for him. I hope he does well. It's a different animal now, getting into the regular season. Well, yeah, it's like he looked – his best game was against Arizona. Well, <laughs> did you see that Arizona <laughs> team on Friday night? Yeah, everybody looked good against them. I mean, how many shots did he get? Seven shots yeah. that game? Seven? Canucks had more power plays than shots, as Bick pointed Oof. out on the post-game show. Um, it, he's looked good so far. And we'll, we'll dive more into Nils Oman. Uh, we're going to do a Pacific Division preview coming up later on in the show as well. Frank Saravalli will join us. But up next, it is Don Taylor. Yep. Donnie is up next on Canuck Central. Canuck Central in the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics providers, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Canuck Central also brought to you by Grip Auto Entire, quality service you can trust, and 14 locations to serve you. Stan Richo and Satyar Shaw. You know, the one thing is, uh, as all these rosters have come out, um, and, and especially after watching on Friday night, Sat, the Arizona Coyotes are going to be incredibly bad this year. Extremely bad. I, I know they were missing Clayton Keller and, and Nick Schmaltz and Jacob Chikrin. Like, okay, so like they're three best players not yeah. in the lineup. That 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 matters. That's big, right? They're still going to be really bad. <laughs> They're gonna be. Real, I mean, it's funny. Their roster is awful. It's horrible. It's it's worse than awful. Yeah. So we were talking ferocious. I during, like to say sometimes <laughs> during the game, we were talking about like okay, what they had how many points last year? 50, 56, 58? <laughs> we're like, yeah. I set the over under at fifty two and a half. And I'm like, like <laughs> would you bet the over if it was fifty two and so a half? So before the game, I'm like, yeah, of course. I mean, I'm not taking under fifty two points. You know how yeah. hard it is to win less than like twenty five. <laughs> Your games big in the thing NHL? is like teams win thirty games. That's what they do in the NHL usually. It's impossible to find teams that win less than twenty five games in a season yeah. in the new era. Almost impossible. So that's why you know last year people were like they're going to win twenty games. I'm like, no, they'll win at least thirty. Like no yeah. team wins less than twenty. But after watching that game, I'm like, yeah, maybe they get under 50 points. Uh, and then I saw the Montreal Canadiens, and they have Jordan Harris, David Savard, Arbor Chekai, Chris Weidman, Caden Gooley, and Jonathan Kovacevic uh, as their starting six defensemen for the opening of the season. I'm like, that's, mm. that's, that's an NHL defense? 
the race for Bedard is on. And I'll just say it right now. Um, by midseason, there will be uh, a national conversation of, is tanking a problem in the National Hockey League? Because these three teams, Chicago, Arizona, and Montreal, are going to be that bad this their, season. Their argument's going to be, do you know how good this guy is? Yeah. It's going to be like the McDavid year all over again. Let's uh, let's bring in our next guest. It's Don Taylor. He joins us every Monday. Donnie, how bad was that Coyotes team on Friday? Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> absolutely horrible. But, again, you guys make the point. I'm not so sure that isn't the plan. So yeah. you, know, you can look at it and say, yeah, they were they were terrible. I don't know if they'll be able to fill their, you know, 20 seat arena this season, but <laughs> it might all turn out, turn out well. And who knows a couple of years, you know, Connor or probably Austin Matthews is upset in, uh, in Toronto. Maybe he wants to go back home. I doubt it, but who knows? Maybe it's all, all part of the plan. Yeah, nobody knows what's going on down there. I guess it all makes sense to Gary. That arena. I, I, I don't think we're paying enough attention to how embarrassing that's going to be every single time we see a game broadcast out of that place. Well, I think the one comparison that people can make is a couple of years ago, the Chargers, for a couple of season, uh, seasons, uh, I believe, played in, in the Galaxies. Uh, the, the name escapes me here. The Galaxies Stadium, and it was, what, 2020, 2000? But my, my argument with that is it's the NFL. You just can't compare that to anything. It's, it's going to be okay, seemingly no matter what. So that's the one comparison I guess you could make. Maybe the corral back in the day, if you guys uh, remember that, or yeah. uh, where the uh, you know the uh, uh, sharks played uh, initially as well in San Jose, the Cow Palace or whatever that was. That 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 all seemed to work out. There was there was a plan there. I know there's a plan for Arizona right now, but I thought stuff like that was behind us. Like I did. I just thought, I just thought it was all, all all behind us. It would never happen again. And here we have what we have in Arizona. But I guess it all makes sense because it's a big TV market. That's the only thing I can think of. Assuming the Canucks don't end up with the first overall pick, what I want is a countdown to Connor Bedard's free agency. And Vancouver collectively can have the conversation that uh, Arizona, or that we've been talking about with uh, Austin Matthews going to Arizona, or everybody in Toronto, everybody in Leafsland being like, Connor McDavid, he's going to sign for the Leafs as soon as he's eligible as a UFA. At, would, would that happen in Vancouver with Connor Bedard, you think, Donnie? I, I don't know. I, I, I can remember, I, I've had conversations with players in the past, with other teams, stars slash superstars who, who didn't want to come here and who were from here just because of the attention and they, they, they didn't want the um, distraction from their buddies and, and things like that. So I'm not so sure it'd be a slam dunk, but it'd be a fun conversation for a year or two. That's for sure. Yeah, it certainly would. Now, you know, as far as this Canucks team is concerned heading into the season now, I mean, we talked about some of the injuries last week and, you know, how it feels like, oh, here we go again before the season starts. But it seems somewhat promising on Brock Besser. Now Quinn Hughes, you know, maintenance day, he's not feeling well. But it seems like it's just, you know, a flu or whatever, so he should be okay. But, you know, how do we feel about the Canucks roster now with guys like Mikheyev missing at least the first few games, Dermot being on IR, and same with Myers to begin the season? Well, it's, it's going to be hard to judge them with the injuries plus the five-game road trip. That's going to be tough. I will say this though: Alvin, you know, you know, introduces the roster today, um, and you know, there's there's new faces on it, which you know that that's encouraging. I think, I mean, especially when you're talking about a team that didn't make the playoffs uh, last year. Uh, but the, to, to have the combination of the injuries, and even you know, if Besser comes back right off the hop, and eventually McCabe, who's supposed to practice in Philadelphia. Like, how ready are they going to be? So 
I just I, I, I look at the roster, still a lot of question marks. Look at those injuries. If they come out of this road trip two and three, I think people are pretty happy. Like honestly, and and you know I think maybe Philadelphia is a team of that road trip that they should beat, but that's about it. If they come out two and three, three and two, people are pretty happy. But you could also see them being a lot worse. I'm sort of like uh, you know. Context will be big for me early in the season with this team. You know, record aside, of course, you want to be about 500 through the road trip, but like, I, I don't want to see a lot of the same problems we've seen in the past, Donnie. Like, I don't want to see this team struggling to break out of its own end. I don't want to see them giving up grade A chances left, right, and center. But it may not be fair to judge them too hard given some of the injuries, especially, you know, on, on the back end with both Myers and Dermot out and all the all of the the losses they've had back there yeah and the shuffling around of positions and a you know a new player in riley stillman yeah it's uh yeah that, that's i you hope that at the very least and this is this is the this is the area that coaches can help the most that's defense what you just said there is bang on they gotta they have to keep the shots down demko should not be that busy so even if they were to have let's say an unsuccessful road trip one and four if, if there's signs that there's there's a commitment to defense, the injuries start to you know heal themselves. Maybe that's a positive sign too. But you're right. I don't think enough people talk about all the shots they give up. You know, the one thing that that listeners of this show say is, is I'm too negative. I'm I'm always uh, I'm always pressing on the Canucks for all the all the things that are going wrong. Uh, the one thing about the preseason that I've been very encouraged by, and it's something that I think will help them through as they they figure some or iron out some of these issues. Donnie is just this this power play. Like it looks dynamite. It looks like an elite power play, even in preseason. Even after they lost Besser, Kuzmenko comes in, and it looks like they haven't lost or. Or missed a beat it, it just like the power play is going to be if this team makes the playoffs the power play will continue to be their separating factor yeah and you know it looks like like again preseason you can say what you want about the quality of opposition but they looked harlem globetrotterish during parts of the preseason on the power play it looked really really good it's promising and you make the great point there about Besser not being there and the power i know he didn't always play in the first unit last year but it still looked darn good, and I don't think they miss a beat with Kuzmenko. So that that has to be a really promising sign. And then you hope the penalty kill will be better than it was in the first part of the season under under Travis Green. So as always, special teams will play a play a big big part. Now, hey, listen, I listen to your show all the time. I don't think you're too negative. They've, <laughs> they haven't been very good for a long, long time. They I mean, fired a head coach and and a, and a GM. Yeah. What are you supposed to be positive about it? I'm on your side. Now, Donnie, as far as the trade that went down over the course of, of the weekend, the Canucks trading Jason Dickinson and a second-round pick to the Chicago Blackhawks in exchange for Riley Stillman, what was your reaction to that trade? Well, you know, I hated giving up the draft pick because it – and, Sat, you've gone on about this. I've gone on about it. Dan has everybody on your station, everybody with us. But that second-round pick, it's – and I'm going to use the word again – Benning-esque, it's just giving that up a draft pick. I know they, they cleared some, some cap room, but it just seemed like a move that the previous regime would have made. So that's it might work out. Stillman adds some toughness, I guess. And I guess he's made up with Kyle Burroughs, you know, regarding the fight they had. Uh, but uh, that's great. That's fine. He's another left-handed defenseman, which is which is interesting, long run. But it, 
my first reaction was kind of, couldn't he have just given up? Uh, maybe if it was Stillman for nothing, in, pardon me, if it was just getting rid of Dickinson for nothing in return, I would think I would have been happy with that, but I guess they couldn't do it. You know, it's um, the, the, the whole toughness thing kind of showed up in the final two games of the preseason there, Donnie. They didn't like what happened in Abbotsford against the Oilers and Pedersen yeah. took a bit of a hit and, you know, Dakota Joshua didn't go after Darnell Nurse when he closed line Nils Hoaglander. That became a conversation. And Friday, I mean, you know, the... A lot of that Coyotes team looked like they were out of the old International Hockey League with how they were trying to, uh, you know, rough it up uh, towards the end of the game. But, you know, it, it does seem as though you know, the way preseason ended almost uh, made the Canucks feel like they needed to add some toughness to this roster. Do you feel that's the way to go in the modern NHL de- game? Well, I, I don't think it hurts. You know, I, I, I don't think it hurts, but we just sat and it's still a part of the game. Fear is still a part of the game. And, you know, um, getting back at somebody, standing up for a teammate is still a part of the game. The, the problem is, is that what we just talked about, if another team has a good power play and you've got a guy sitting in the box constantly, um, that's, that's going to come back to, to burn you. P- penalty kill, probably power plays are such a big part of the game right now. You can't go completely old school because of that. But I think you need that element. And you know, Jim Rutherford, to this point, up until a few days ago, seemed very new school. But the last week or so, it, you know, um, it just seems you know, after the Oilers game, after the Coyotes game, it seemed like he was like, well, let's, we, we got to go a little 1970s here and get some toughness in, in this lineup. And I think it'll be welcomed by the people at uh, Rogers Arena. You worry about them taking too many penalties if that's the case. Yeah, I mean, you, you we worry about that. I mean, there, there's so many. I mean, my biggest concern about this team, and we kind of talked about it before, is, is really that chance differential. Can you create better chances than the ones you give up? And, you know, then I think you'll be okay overall. But one thing I just wonder about, too, is do we see the standard get raised this season by this team? I mean, they talk a lot about how they have the right mindset this year. And, you know, I spent time this weekend watching the Redeem team on Netflix. And, you know, you saw how the U.S. brought Kobe in after all their failures. I mean, relative failures, really, in 2004. And then, you know, Kobe comes and just changes their mentality, how hard he works. And all of a sudden, everybody's taking it seriously and everything. And it just kind of made me think about Nathan McKinnon, too, and everything we talked about him being, you know, maniacal, essentially, but he wants to win. And that's a standard you set and I kind of wonder if, if we do we see something like that from anybody on this team this season do we do we see the signs of a championship character within these players well maybe the one guy that when, when you say that uh sat the one player that would come to mind for me would be Pedersen and what he was up to in the summer and the fact that he was so dis- clearly disappointed in his 17 points and 34 games start and you know you saw the pictures of him from the offseason you know, the weight belt and the, you know, the shaved head. He looked like he was, you know, the second coming of Rambo. Like it looked, it looked like he was really driven. And, you know, the, the games we've seen him in the preseason he, and, and the, you know, the game in Abbotsford against Edmondson, he was like one of the Canucks, if not their most aggressive players. So maybe he's a guy that could take it to the next level and tell everybody, Hey, you got to play like this. So that's the guy I, I would look for. Can it happen? I, I think you know, the thing that I love about Pedersen is how he picked himself up, up after a really bad start last mm-hmm. year. So if he could do that, I can't see why he can continue that 
he can't continue that into this season. It's pretty impressive. So one player um, Sat and I have talked about quite a bit, and his importance to the roster is Oliver Ekman Larson. Uh, you know, he was dipsy doodling around some of those Coyotes players on Friday. Looked strong in the preseason. Had a strong first season in Vancouver, right? I, I think a lot of people were skeptical about where his game was at when they acquired him, Donnie. But he he was fine to me last year. I guess the question is: Is there more to get out of Oliver Ekman Larson this year? Well, he he didn't have to go through the bag skate this year, so right there, yeah, that was good. Yep. Uh, so, so so there's that. Um, a couple of dings uh, last year. I, the, the thing is with Oliver Ekman Larson, I think he's a very good player, uh, like like really good player. He comes with that big contract though that you you, know, you can't help it. Look at me, I'm talking about it right now. Seems like you just can't help. Uh, but talk about it. I think he is what he is. I think what we saw last year, I think most people, contract aside, would be pretty pretty happy uh, with that. He'll get a lot of ice time. He'll be, uh, you know, not as important, if I can use that word, as, as Quinn used. But I'm, I'm not so sure at his age, and with the miles on him, remember he played a lot with the Coyotes. I don't know how much more we can, that the Canucks can expect out of him. Yeah, I mean, the, the guy I think they can expect maybe – you know, a decent amount from this season, and I wasn't quite sure about it because of, you know, we never saw him play in the NHL yet, and that is Andre Kuzmenko. And I know, Donnie, we don't get, want to get too carried away with what we saw, what we see in the preseason and all that, but there are certain tangible skills and traits he has that you can see can translate. His shot, he gets it off really quickly. It's a snapshot that's very accurate and it's heavy. He has quickness. He has a bit of burst. You know, he's he's he got very good hands, good instincts. He knows where to be. Hey, we'll see how he handles the, the NHL speed but I don't really have a question of him being able to, able to play my question is what is a successful first NHL season for Kuzmenko because I think he'll play pretty much every game and I think he'll be de- relatively productive my question is how productive can can we expect him to be as a rookie he seems like a 20 goal scorer mm-hmm. like I I, I would ex- I, I would by the way there's some foreign audio coming in I can barely hear anything right now but I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to move ahead here I mean, take two um, steps to the left. Maybe it'll clear up. Yes, I will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Very good. Thank you, Sad. That's very old school. I love it. Yeah. Uh, but he seems like a twenty, a twenty goal scorer. And man, talk about an electric personality. Is there anybody in town who won't be pulling for that guy after that interview the other day? My gosh, it's just great. But that that aside, forget about you know what he's like for the media. We tend to you know get uh, carried away with how somebody comes across. With, we pull for him and, and all of that. He just looks like somebody who could be really dynamic, both with his shot and his confidence with the putt. Long way to go. But early on, I would say he just looks, just seems like a guy who could pop in 20 at the very least. Are you guys making uh, predictions on Donnie and Dolly? I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, predictions are cliche, but I kind of love them. <laughs> I kind of love them because you can shove them in somebody's face. And it's kind of, you know, it, it, they're a whole lot of fun. We will. Let me think about it. I'll get back to you next week. Uh, Donnie, you're the best. Thanks for this. Thanks, guys. No problem. Uh, there's uh, Don Taylor from Donnie and Dolly, 10 to noon on Check TV. Yeah. Um, man, that first road trip, what will be successful? He said, he said even if they two go and three. two and three, you take it because new faces, five-game road trip. I mean, last year on that six-game road trip, they went three, two, and one. Yeah. Disastrous start to the season, but their road trip was actually very successful. You go three, two, and one on a six-game road trip to start the season. You take that any day. It did not feel great at times. No, it didn't feel. When they great. got 
Uh, well, I mean, like the Detroit game. They looked really bad in Buffalo. In Detroit, they didn't look good. Yeah. Uh, Buffalo, they didn't look good. Their best game was Seattle, actually, yep. and their first game against Edmonton was okay, but it was Seattle where they mm-hmm. really um, looked decent. I mean, they didn't create enough scoring chances. The cleanest goal they had was that put Coles in a snipe. Everything yes. else was like bounces <laughs> and like lucky goals and stuff. You're like, this is not great. Yeah. But regardless, they, were, they went 3-2-1. and one. Results, they went 3-2-1. Mm-hmm. and one. Um, I I don't know if two and three I'd view two and three as a success, but I think they can go, go two two and one. I'm a, I'm a big like five hundred yeah. guy. Two two you and know? one. Go like, five hundred, especially early in the season. I I want to see trends pointing in the dire- right direction, but you obviously have to keep a certain level of results so that you don't dig yourself the hole that the Canucks found themselves in last year at the end of 25 games, yeah. right? You know, like I don't need to look at the standings early on in the season to tell me what's going to happen, but I do need to see that the building blocks are there for the Canucks to be a playoff team in the way that they're playing. Yeah, and I mean, we were talking about the injuries as well, and Besser, there's some good news on that front, could play maybe Wednesday, Yeah, uh, if not most certainly against Philly. Um, and we talked about Mikheyev, who the club announced it was going on IR today. Mm-hmm. So I saw Drans tweeting about this as well. So um, we're accustomed to, during a season, IR being the day the player got injured or the day you put the player on IR during a regular season. You can backdate it into the preseason. So Mikheyev may only miss one game or two games. Now, doesn't mean he can, So he could be eligible to return sooner than October 18th against Columbus, essentially, at what is what it is. Yeah, so you'd see this a lot in, in baseball, like a player would get hurt, um, maybe just be out of the lineup for a few days, and then they determine, hey, he's going to be out for a little bit longer, so they retroactively put him on the injured list. Uh, I guess it's a 10-day injured list now in, in baseball. Yeah, but, you can retroactively put them on IR. You can do the same thing in, in the NHL, but it, you know, but you can do it into the offseason, which yes. means uh, his IR stint could have started before the season started. NHL rules, cap rules are weird. Yes. Some things you can do, some things you can't, but this apparently falls under the rules that you can. So the point being, if Mikheyev is back sooner than we think, and Besser is back pretty, you know, maybe the first or the second yeah. game, yeah, on the back end, you worry about Dermot and Myers, of course, for a team whose defense has some issues or whatever. But you're essentially going to have all all hands on deck for most of this five-game road trip is the point I'm trying to make here. Uh, so that, that's good. They could have uh, retroactively put Mikheyev on uh, the injured list to a specific date that may not keep him out uh, the first three games of yeah. the season, which if he was placed on injured reserve today, then he would be ineligible to play the first three games of the season. So that being said, yeah. they should be able to go to two and one on this road trip <laughs> is the point I'm trying to make. And that should be seen as a success. Yes. To start the season. I did want to make this point or at least share this from Puckpedia on the Canucks roster set. Yeah. I mentioned earlier this hour that the Leafs uh, were the cap space optimizing champions because they got their cap to within $4 of the upper limit yeah. so they could maximize the amount of LTIR that they used. Well, per Puckpedia, the Canucks are the new LTIR optimizing champion in the National Hockey League. Their opening roster of 22 active players, 13 forwards, 60, and two goalies, with Mikheyev, Myers, Dermott, and Di Giuseppe all on injured reserve, Furland LTIR is exactly $3.5 million over the cap 
the maximum potential LTIR with Furland on that. So the Canucks have maximized their cap space to the full three and a half million of Michael Furland's cap charge. So they are at least for this year to start the season, the cap space optimizing champions. You know, that that's a job well done. <laughs> you know what? Somebody's Four running bucks? the numbers for Patrick Alvin, and they're good. Yeah. No, they, they did a good job with this. I mean, hey, it comes down to the numbers on the contract and yes. whatever. And there's only so much you can do. But to get it that well on the dot. They got to bang on 100%. That's uh, very <laughs> impressive. Very impressive. It's very, uh, very, like the Leafs even like signed players to very specific numbers. Mm-hmm in the last couple of days so that they could get to within $4. Pretty amazing that the uh, Canucks found a way to do this to maximize uh, the three and a half. Yeah. Now, uh, just one note, LTIR space cannot accrue. No. So um, 3.5 is all you have all season. Mm -hmm. They can't get any more than that unless they move more salary out and get under the salary cap. And, you know, every time a player is injured, they're biting into LTIR space. So it gives them some flexibility, but, you know, it, it can grow. You know what yes. I mean? But if you manage it right, maybe you'll, you can have a couple million at the deadline. Maybe you can add a player worth up to two to three million if you play your cards right. So uh, that is uh, the latest on the Canucks as uh, they announce their roster and maximize LTIR with uh, Michael Furland who is in the uh, final year of his deal. Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. This is Canuck Central.